Hello and welcome to another Not Chili podcast. We are back with another film discussion with the amazing Josh. And today we talk about the film Spider-Man Homecoming. And we go all over the place talking about films that we think are in the spectrum of this film in particular. So, let's do this. Thanks very much for being a part of this. Well, you know, I've got like... What's that game called? Fallout Shelter? Just gotta check my... No, I was just gonna look up, um... Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man? Which is... I don't know why I'm looking that up. I'm just... It just <laughs> comes to me. What the actor's name is, maybe? I just wanna look up the whole thing. Spider-Man. Chris Hiddleston. Hiddleston. Hiddles. Is it actually... No. Oh. That's the that's the guy that plays Loki. Oh. That about four hours ago I said I can't remember his name. <laughs> and no one's gonna get the reference. <laughs> nice. Ooh, seven point five on Metacritic. It's a it's a it's a solid eight. Also seventy three percent. I think it's a solid eight, but we're giving away all our thing, all our like um you know feelings on the matter. But then again, it's not really, we don't we're not a freaking review show. We just talk about. If it was a cat, I'd rate it at like um tabby. Tabby. Yeah. What's the top of the scale? Tortoiseshell. Sorry, jeez. I can't say that. Our previous cats were uh, Tabby and they were... Um, Did you have a cat called Tortoiseshell? Juno is a tortoiseshell. Is that a type of cat? Yes, it's a type of cat. Not something that an animal has on its back that swims. <laughs> it's, you know, tortoiseshell, the pattern? Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tortoiseshell. But is that a type of cat? Or is that just a type of... It is a type of... of it's, a, it's, a, it's a very... It's like the cat version of a ginger. Um, like a redhead. Yeah, it's, right. Uh, they are a genetic anomaly that can't be predicted. Correction there, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. What? No, no, no. You, you spoke to, like, the. it's a slip of the tongue. Ginger kids are evil. I saw a documentary yeah. called South Park about this. That's right. <laughs> no, I'm sure they have souls. I'm, I'm sure they do. Um, uh, and they- yeah, I, I, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very similar, basically, in cats, and uh, they are genetically different. It's not just a color pattern. They are behaviorally uh, different. It, it depends on who you ask. Like, I've spoken to uh, one person about it who runs a cat shelter or something, and she said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Whereas I've spoken to a couple of vets about it, and they said, yeah. That's right. So, well, that's know. I could be talking about that to my sister because she is a vet and she can tell me about all this kind of funky cat business. Yeah, they're cool. They're cool, 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 cool cats. People who <laughs> like them. Cause, uh, <clears throat> no, they're they're objectively cool. It's they are tortoiseshell um, cats are like uh, James Dean. It's they're just it does great. You might like him, you might not like him, but it doesn't mean that he's not cool. I still think that I'm totally unbiased. Uncool. There, you are totally biased, but I'm, I'm totally also unbiased. totally not okay to speak about it because I have never owned a cat. I don't plan to. Not because I hate cats, because they hate everything. You, you want something needier in your life? I exactly. I want to come home and I want to feel loved. I I need a tamagotchi. No, see that that's 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 the total disconnect that people who have dogs think that cats are doing. You do come home and feel really yeah, loved. you do to a certain degree just, until they get bored no. of you and then they slash at you. That's not what happens. Is it not? No. Okay. Don't get bored of you. I literally saw you like a few minutes ago about it, your grumpy cat like attacking. No, she had legitimate grievance. She wanted to go out today and she was kept inside all and day. So I need an animal that doesn't have any feelings other than happiness. Yeah, see, that's 
That's like owning a lobotomized person. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want a lobotomized right? person that's just, oh, oh my God, you're great. And this is fantastic all the time. I want something that's like me that is going to be like, okay, like I've socialized enough with you today. Uh, I want to do my own thing. Cool. I, you know what? I actually do. And something that can clean itself and bury its own shit. <laughs> like, hey, a good dog can bury its own shit. And it can shit in appropriate places. Also, a good dog, when you leave it out and about, won't kill native wildlife. Just saying. Yeah, so you you have a cat that's, you know, incompetent of doing so. Then what do you do with all the other cats that aren't? That's not my problem. Yeah. I haven't poorly raised an animal. Yet. I've well raised an animal. Yeah, right. I have raised an animal well. (laughs) Oh, my God. And and Wiki, Donald Glover comes up before Robert Downey Jr., (laughs) I mean, that's not a big deal, but it just makes me go like... He's definitely not getting paid as much. <laughs> yes. God. To have Robbie done a junior money. That would be... Amazing. Unless it's by in alphabetical order by first name. No, it starts with Tom Holland. Who's that? I don't know. Some guy. <laughs> Probably not a big player in the film. So we're talking about Spider-Man Homecoming. Yes. Or as Tom Redder would say, Spider-Man. 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 Really? Does yeah. he actually say it like Mr. that? Mr. Spider-Man. This is going to be a great tester to see if he listens to the podcast. <laughs> no, it's like, haven't you ever heard his, like, his... No. You've never had that conversation with him? No. It's very funny that if you refer to superheroes, um, if if their last name was Spider-Man, if, if someone's name was Spider-Man, it wouldn't be pronounced Spider-Man, it'd be pronounced Spider-Man. Because that's how we pronounce those words. Yeah, right. And yet, for the superheroes, we call them Spider-Man. And so he just says, like, imagine if we all referred to them as Spider- how we would pronounce last name. So it's like Superman, Batman. Oh, my God. There are people called Bat in Australian history. Like, no, no, no. I get you. Batman yeah, I get is, is, is like a, a, a well-known name. Uh, it's not pronounced Batman. It's pronounced Batman because that's how it's pronounced. So, yeah, Spider-Man. <laughs> no. I've, I've, I've always Knowing Tom really is funny. like all about linguistics and etymology... It makes me listen to and go, yeah, okay. Oh, you're the Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. No. Spider-Man. And that's why we have such great conversation. Well, you know, like, I hope we have great conversations because what happens is that Tom- Who, you and Tom? Yeah, yeah. No, he- He hates not me. what he tells me, but- yeah. Play into my anxiety, you asshole. <laughs> and, and we have conversations and then he'll like, because he loves, you know, like, words and stuff like that. And he'll say, he'll say like a sentence which makes so much sense, but he'll say it with a couple of words. And I just like stop him right there and be like- what does that mean? And he's like, ah, oh. like it just it, like he he likes explaining to me, but it like f- drops his rhythm, you know. Like you know, and someone's like, I'm on a roll. I'm talking. I'm talking. I'm talking. Okay, now I've got to stop and explain that one fucking word. You couldn't understand it by context. I'm like, yeah, I could understand it by. It'd be, context. It'd be good if like you could f- like footnote conversations. <laughs> no, my memory doesn't let me do that. No, it doesn't at all. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I. Let say. me just come back to one A. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, the word that I said that you don't know what it means, it makes the rest of what I said not make sense. Would have been very helpful if at the time you had asked me. That would probably be the response most of the time. What is this? Nothing. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> Red Bull. Yeah. It's so bad for Can me. we first talk about... So, we got Spider-Man going. Spider-Man. Can we first... Spider-Man, sorry. Uh... We watched the movie, but we had we did something more important at the beginning of this. I think it's really, really revolutionary for us. We ate healthy food. <laughs> I know that you generally eat healthy food, 
But can I just say, I'm proud of us. Celery, hummus, other, you had a French onion dip, mm. you had carrots, you had like some healthy bread that- No, I, that, wasn't, that, that no. wasn't healthy okay. bread, but well, yeah. But you didn't have a lot of it. And I didn't have healthy bread, but it's Rosh Hashanah and I had Rosh Hashanah bread. And you so I was just, yeah. I was just being a one, one hundredth decent uh, Jewish person. <laughs> yeah, no. Because I should have been at synagogue if I was a decent Jewish person. But, but, um, shouldn't have said that because we could have gotten away with it. No one knows the date. Ah, well, it's Rosh Hashanah. But they won't know the date anyway, like, unless they're Jewish, so... Because it's, like, a moon calendar. Oh, really? So, yeah. And we could talk about this for hours. Yeah, before there was, you know... It was a while, Mm. around for a couple of thousand years before, you know... All right, this isn't about a boring boring history. This is about really important stuff. Spider-Man. And you're the one that brought up healthy food. I know. What is more boring than healthy food? I'm proud of us. I think this is great. And yet you undermine it all with a Red Bull. Yes, because I'm tired, and I know that Stu might come over. We should probably call him, by the way. Totes. Weird to get him on the phone now. No, no. Okay. So, uh, Tom Hiddleston. 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 Tom Holland. Tom Hiddleston. Tom, Tom Dutch. Um. So, let's you know not rewind, but let's let's get back to the show. Uh, we're talking about Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man Homecoming, as we've previously said. Uh, we just watched it. Josh got the Blu-ray, realizing that. Oh, yeah. I was I was waiting for it to come down in price on 4K Blu-ray. Yeah, uh, you were. And I had missed it on the... I can't remember which side I use now. It's real or not or something. Just uh, a quick... Real, um, think 4K. If people want to know how much Josh likes particular <laughs> quality of things, like, and I, and I mean that, like, seriously... Dunkirk episode, which was probably two episodes or three episodes back now. Listen to that because it's actually really interesting about the kind of really finessing details. Continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they mastered the film at 2K because they showed it at 2.8K, which means all the visual effects are mastered at 2K, uh, which renders a 4K Blu-ray basically Obsolete, useless. right? Yeah. So um, the thing that's interesting about that is that it means... No matter how high resolution goes in the future, uh, it's always going to be upscaled. That film, like yeah. that's a master. It's not, it's not exported out. It's film and printed and all. You know, that's the great thing about old film. You can rescan it at higher resolutions and on and on and on. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's. I mean, four K. You're probably hitting the limits on thirty five mil, as far as I'm aware. But uh, certainly on a big screen, on a TV, you could probably get it higher than that. But. I was reading a feed this morning, actually, that a bunch of people were talking about 4K, and some of them were saying, there's going to be no point until 8K comes out. Uh, I mean, what size fucking television yeah. are you going to need to be able to notice that? It's... Uh, I mean, look at the transition into 4K. It's kind of ridiculous, right? Where, like, yeah. I, I, how many years do you think it'll be before everyone gets a 4K TV? It's going to be, like, five or six years before... It's going to take a while. Yeah, because 4K is not, like... Yeah. it. Like, yes, it does look better. Yeah, the HDR is pretty amazing. Um, but really, does it does it take away from the story enough that it'll make me go, I'm only going to watch that on 4K? But, it, but it's just also the pipeline. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that most cinemas are still using 2K projectors... Uh, worldwide yeah uh you know they change when they changed over to digital they mostly didn't change to 4k as far as i'm aware so 
Yeah. Well, there's there's no point in the pipeline, but on top of that, it's really the CGI. It's the rendering. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, because um, they, need, they, they need that in post to do it, but they're not going to render out in 4K. That's like... No, yeah, I can't say the name of the film, but as the CG house that we used earlier in the year, they were working on a big Aussie film and a few, like, really big... Um, shots mm. and they were initially requested to do the film in 4k yeah um, to do the shots they were going to master the whole thing at 4k or netflix probably. um i assume no i uh, no. no no it's getting uh cinema distribution as far as i'm aware Woo-hoo. and um yeah when 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 i saw what they were working on it was it was just one of those things where you went why are they doing this at uh you know, eight million pixels or whatever, yeah. and they could be doing it at two million pixels. It didn't. It it didn't. Um, as far as I'm aware, they ended up going with two uh, K in the end uh, because th- this is the difference, right? This CG house was talking that for the rendering of one shot, they'd have to upscale uh, to getting another four servers. I think it was. Yeah, there we go. It was either two or four. I can't to remember. To meet deadline but- or whatever. Uh, well, yeah, because keeping in mind, they would have other jobs in their render queues and all this kind of stuff to keep business functioning. That's what they would need. And, and this is the stuff that, you know, the lay person, (laughs) the lay person, people who don't care about this stuff. It's what you say, like just uh, the everyday person. Um, that's the part that no one factors in It's you know, everyone's going to the shop and buying 4k, but they're buying something that is digitally upscaled that their TV and pos- if they have an Xbox One S, for instance, like they already have upscalers built into them. You know, what we just watched was upscaled to 4K um, to fit my screen by my Xbox. Mm. Um, buying one that's mastered at that resolution that's just been upscaled, it just doesn't. Yeah, it's pretty useless. So yeah, it was quite funny and just been waiting for it to come down because I didn't want to pay like forty dollars for a Blu-ray. Right, and uh, sale by by two days. Look at how nice you are to me, Josh. And then um, yeah, it turned out that it was mastered at two K. So what did we do? That was like one of my that was a fifteen dollar copy. A prom- prominent <laughs> moment in buying it from JB Hi-Fi. I remember being like, oh man, I really wanted to watch it today because I like I've been eager to watch it. You've hyped it up. And so I was really keen on it. And then you're like, okay, okay. I see you going on your phone. I'm like, is he looking for a deal somewhere else to price match? It's like, oh, no, it's okay. It was a 2K film. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I was thinking, but sure, I'll take that as a win for me. So I got to watch it today, which was fun. Yeah, for like less than half the price. I, I got to watch it for free. You did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ah, look, I was happy to buy it. Yeah, know. of course you I were. It's pretty obvious my thoughts on Marvel, but I've always found mm-hmm. Spider-Man to be really interesting. And he's interesting in the history of cinema. You know, a lot of the things that happened in the 90s, that was the point at which people realised, oh my God, we can do a superhero that isn't Batman mm. um, or Superman. But what is Spider-Man to you? Does he actually have any kind of... Do you do you resonate with Spider-Man at all? Uh, I love Spider-Man. Mm. My... my, my Sorry, as as a video game player and a mm-hmm. film goer, I don't, uh, I don't I don't care for comics. Um, I've 
I've tried. Yeah, I've tried as well. I I think the writing's really bad. You know, the Marvel, like, like ultimate collection, like, they released these, like, blocks of, like... Oh, yeah. Like, Like after a series that's finished, or...? No, no, I'm talking about, like, the stuff they used to put in newspapers. Oh, yeah. Real dry, like, really, like... That's what I used to do with Phantom. I used to buy the annual phantom see that's the only yeah. comic i've ever gotten into and i know that's meant to be like the most boring of all the comics but calvin and hobbs loved it's probably the only one i probably <laughs> that's not really a comic comic like that's a comic that's strip. a comic strip yeah but that's no, more sketches the, and yeah whereas um okay uh, Fa- phantom is the comic strips from phantom would uh if you basically they were a book but they just put in three to six frames at a time yeah right so then I would get the book as opposed to I never read them in the newspaper. See, I also think that, like, you say that, but I also think that there's, um, eventually Calvin and Hobbes, like, they would, their season would actually lead up to a story, I'm pretty sure. Because, I mean, he did it for 10 years. And so I, I think a few of his kind of seasons of, of work actually was telling of a particular era in Calvin's life or something like that. And so it, it would kind of lead up to a moment, but there would still be like you know like three to five like pictures or whatever panels panels thank you um so it's still like there were ones that didn't address the story the ones that were and stuff like that but i think that um yeah i think that you you're right to say that it, they're very different mediums and in the sense that the one's telling a coherent story from beginning to end but they were i think exceptions to that rule in calvin and hobbes but this isn't about calvin and hobbes As, did you ever read calvin and hobbes like properly, um, I didn't read it all the way through, but yeah, no, no, it wasn't really my jam. It it always I, I, brings a tear to my eye whenever it, I read. Not whenever I read it, but there are just some of them in there just make me want to cry. It's so good. Yeah, I've seen some emotional ones and stuff like that. Happy but, cry. Yeah, I haven't. Um, but in terms of Marvel, yes, I've read sort of bits and pieces here and there, but never found it super interesting. Whereas Spider Man, um has featured throughout my media consumption in a big way. I don't remember very much watching the cartoon in the 90s, but I definitely did. But back then I was, mm. I was Batman. That was you were the, Batman all the way. I was Batman all the way. And uh, then, uh, um, yeah, played video games. I think the first time I really got stuck onto Spider-Man was a game called... It was either called Amazing Spider-Man or just Spider-Man. Um, and it was for PS1 oh, and PC. And no, you fought Electro. No, the second no. one you bought Electro. Fa- Are you sure Electro? you're not talking about Ultimate Spider-Man on PlayStation 2? No. Okay, because I did a review I, of I then pl- I then played days. that later. Yeah. So, that, that was no, this, this was like, it was PS1 and um, I can't remember who the bad guy was in it. Um, but yeah, PS1 and uh, PC. PlayStation 1, was it like really a side-scroller? No. Really? Yeah, it was 3D. In fact, I think Polygon... Uh, I thought that article was fairly rubbish, to be honest, because it was really... Didn't even... I think it spent a sentence on Ultimate Spider-Man or something, but yeah. um, it was going... Oh! The history of Spider-Man games. Yes, I remember seeing that, and it was like they had the three pictures of the different Spider-Man games as they progressed to the new one, and I was like, you didn't show Ultimate Spider-Man? That no, no, no images from Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Which was not only beautiful, but also had amazing gameplay yeah, and a fantastic right. story. I mean, like, um, it's obviously the only thing that kind of... I, I not kills it. Yes, that's so true. I forgot about that. I just I love that game, and the only thing that kind of hindered was that it needed more, 
like it needed more like they just needed more story more game yeah. but it wasn't because it, the story was bad and I didn't like it it's just I wanted to play it more yeah like that was it and that's, it was it's, fairly long if I remember correctly oh yeah but like when it, for an open world game it wasn't Rhino long. yeah let's fight Wolverine early in the game yes you did that was heaps of fun it was a fa- and yeah. so yeah those were the it. things that kind of made me really into it and uh, I missed the uh, Spider-Man 2 boat because I bought it on PC because I didn't play console at that time mm-hmm. um skipped to ps2 and gamecube and xbox original generation uh, and i was on pc and despite the marketing and everything being identical yeah. it was a completely different game developed by a different house not a port uh... it was it was an absolutely different game so you get into it it's not a big free roaming manhattan it's blocks of manhattan that you can sort of right. snake through sections of it's like the 3ds version i think i played the 3ds or like a game uh, sorry ds version or something of a spider-man game where you're like obviously they're not going to take the playstation 2 or 3 at the time or whatever it was up to and and make it into work on a ds yeah but it was definitely just like why did you even brand it as like as Spider-Man the same thing, thing. Yeah, yeah uh it was uh it was shocking which is why actually oh here we go story time Story time with Josh. And I eventually got a GameCube. Yeah, Spider-Man 2. That's what the case is holding right now. We're on GameCube. That's um, pretty cool. We should play it. We should do like a Let's Play kind of thing where we play and... You've actually suggested this and I'm the one that said, well, we can't see it, so... <laughs> yeah. I, uh... Yeah, I'd definitely like to check that out a bit more, but I think yeah. I'd probably play that a bit and then go, uh... So, what about the... Th- PlayStation 4 game. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway, so that's anyway, that's my history with Spider-Man. Well, for me, um, I've, I never really watched the comics. I watched the TV show a bunch. I didn't really... See, I have a really horrendous memory. Like, I don't... I retain information fairly well. I just don't have access to it. And, and so I need, like, visual prompts or, or like... You know, like the moment you start a sentence about something we did together, then like my I get a vivid flashback and I'm there. Yeah, yeah. But I can't generate that myself. I had that with Monkey Magic. There you go. Right, I have that with I all of my life. I, right. I oh, I have it with a bunch of. But Monkey Magic was the most recent experience I had of it. Where the way I always described it is, um, someone's reaching into your brain and ripping neurons to the front. Yeah. Because it's that's honestly what it feels like when a deep, deep memory comes back that you had no no reason to access or anything like that and i saw something on a tv and there was this like guy is a pig and all this kind of, and i just went what <laughs> like you know breath of the wild when he walks to a spot and then it goes oh yeah, yeah <laughs> he gets yeah, taken yeah. back to a memory it's like Aah! yeah like that anyway yeah. well no for me it's kind of a bit like that too oh no because it happens to me often enough that's basically how i function so i have this like history with spider-man where i'm like Oh, I, I, I played the video game. I kind of enjoyed it. I kind of resonate with the pa- Peter Parker character. I really enjoyed the 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 Brian Singer films. You know, like the one- Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. Sorry, that's he- Brian Singer. Slightly different director. Yeah, true. Oh, yes, <laughs> slightly different controversy. Um, uh, not that Sam Raimi has any controversy, but uh, but I did enjoy the what was Tobey Maguire yeah. version of Spider. I didn't love it. Like I wasn't like I really loved it because it was like the first kind of like uh live action spider-man i was like whoa cool and i remember and then suddenly i realized that i used to wake up and watch cheese tv and i used to watch spider-man all the time because i started being like yeah but that's a reference to mary jane and that's a reference to Electra. that's and i started realizing that i've actually 
ingrained in the back of my head. I actually watch a lot of Spider-Man because I love, like, the, the, not that I, I've never been, we, we talked about this while watching the film, I've never been, like, wanting to be the cool kid in school, but I was always in, in the outcast group. It wasn't even just in the nerd group. We, we were this amazing group of friends. Each of us were weirdos in their they own They called it Piot's group. That's right. Uh, that's what they call it now. Now, we all disbanded and we're all like weirdos in our own respects, you know, and, and we're all, it's like some of us are part geek, some of us are like part like bully, goth, like it's, they wouldn't, it was just not a, it was a mishmash. And so, I never really seeked like the cool kids. And to be honest, there wasn't a big disparage, like the cool kids weren't assholes or anything. Um, but, uh, Lucky. But, but I, but I certainly resonated with that kind of vibe of being the kind of outcast and kind of being the weirdo and being a bit off place. And, and so I felt like that. And, and so I kind of resonated with him as a character. New York, for me, has like a Woolloomooloo vibe, which is where I grew up. I grew up in that kind of housing commission, kind of like poor and not, I mean, not to say that like I was completely screwed or something like that, but like I grew up around that kind of world, you know, crime and-, and, and he's, also, he's also from Queens. Which is is that particularly bad or um, I don't know myself. Queens uh, historically is um, a lower socioeconomic end oh, of the New York scale, so it's across the water from Manhattan, uh, same as Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's just it's not it's not like he lives in Manhattan. You know, no, he no, in, he lives in New York, and it's uh, uh, in sort of a different area. So and and as as he is depicted. Most of the time, like they're not really financially okay. No, which that's was right. kind of a weird thing with that amazing Spider-Man one and two movies with um, what's his name? I never watched them. Um, you didn't see them? No, no. I, th- I got told to uh, Andrew Garfield. I never, I never did, and I, I got told, ah, don't waste your time. Uh, what do you think? Happy to do a comparison. I do love Spider-Man. I don't, I don't think you should not watch them. Uh, particularly the first one. The first one was entertaining enough, but it was just. What, what did it miss? Wasting a fucking... What did it, it's not what it missed, it's what it had. It was an origin story. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, we all know The first origin. hour and a bit was... Uh, and then they fast-forwarded. Stra- um, the ending is so atrociously bad. Where basically, you know, near the end of the film, he's reaching that point where everyone's like, oh, that pesky Spider-Man, he's so annoying and he ruins stuff, which is that awkward phase, which is what um, Spider-Man has... At, you know, all the way up to the beginning of Spider-Man 2 yeah. in Sam Raimi's trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in this film, um, you see him doing all the destruction. You don't really see the response to it. You see the people are starting to like him. But there has to be that awkward phase of Spider-Man. It's part of who he is. That's right. Um, before he's... While he's your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man as opposed to an Avenger, right? So... He needs to get, a, like, kind of a certain level of maturity in him oh no to finish up the story so uh without going into too much so so i kind of i resonated with spider-man in that particular way i realized that i kind of had connections to the story of spider-man and also he's kind of awkward kind of uh, yeah he's awkward humor onto things where like oh no here it is he's awkward nervous humor to things i've never been i come across as like oh i don't know if I, what you tell me but i've never been like kind of that kind of cocky confident joke teller i i i don't you know i went through a phase in life when it comes to joke telling where i was i, I actually kind of i'm a lot more awkward than that i used to seek kind of seek people to laugh at me and then it kind of changed into at being you. like 
with me, right? You know, uh, with the jokes, yeah. And they, you weren't a jester. Well, because I because of the dyslexia, I, I always found that people laughed at me, not with me, because it would just be funny. But well, the way I say something or the way I interpret something, I mean, things Piot says is a perfect example of that. Uh, it's just me out of context is hilarious, and so. I kind of went through a phase where, like, I, I wanted people to laugh because I made them laugh because I always liked making people laugh, and then I realized that that's never going to happen. I don't, I don't. Well, might maybe in the future, but it's like a, it's a. I'm not that kind of wit. I don't have that kind of cocky, confident wit about me. And then I just started to enjoy making people laugh, but not ever expecting it. That's where it became fun, and that's where my kind of dark sense of humor kind of comes about. Where like I say a joke, I say something that's out of place to throw people off. Because I think it's kind of funny. Uh, and I, I think when people look at you and go, wait, are you serious? You know, I'm, you know that, that for me is a really hilarious reaction. And I'm, I'm always like, I don't ever take it too far. My point being is that I, I've always had a nervous kind of giddy sense of humor. And I feel like that version, especially that version of Spider-Man, but Spider-Man in general has always been like that. The kind of geeky, nervous kid that, you know, he does, he is actually funny. Uh, and the way they write him is really hilarious and way funnier than I am. But yeah. it's, but he's, it's, it's, when he's in the suit, he's always when he's Spider Man, he's always meant to be. He's always meant to ease into a really cocky, um, overconfident type of character who has maybe a two percent overinflation in his mind of what his abilities are. Yeah, I think that's always been a favorite thing about Spider Man is is that. Um, the type of characteristics that he's taken from a spider mm. give him this remarkable strength, and yet it's his will that is really the core s- strength that he has. Mm. Uh, the fact that he's a good person who wants to help is whatever version of the film that you see, that's that's the most important aspect of who Spider-Man is. Mm. Um, Which is kind of the way, that's kind of the main arc of this particular film. To be honest, that's kind of if you were to describe what is Spider-Man: Homecoming, you would say that it's this arc of Spider-Man not being the suit, not being just the person who's super strong and who has like reflexes and all that. It's it's whether him as a person is worthy of being yeah. the protector. Yeah, and I and I think it's about the thing I like about the film is how much it's about. Balance and failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he spends ninety percent of the film fucking up. Yeah, um, it doesn't make it any less rewarding or entertaining. But it's that thing of watching him become Spider-Man, so to speak. Uh, through, I mean, when you throw it into the context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all that stuff. So that lesson is imparted to him. If if uh, if you don't deserve to wear the uh, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. Yeah. Um, that, which is given to him by Tony Stark. That's what Tony Stark learns in Iron Man 3. That's right. Uh, which I think is a bit of a mess of a film, but it's... I need to watch it again because I actually really liked it. I thought it was, like, I thought it was fun and enjoyable. And I thought it had, you know, like Thor Ragnarok? I know Thor Ragnarok was, like, way funnier and way more, like, tongue-in-cheek. But it, but it, it got you. Like there was, it was kind of like a movie and then like a funny movie and kind of played on itself. And then suddenly they had these really kind of cool, amazing moments. I felt like that's what I- They all feel like Happy Meals to me. This one doesn't, honestly. It really doesn't. That's why I like it so much. But yeah, Thor Ragnarok still felt like eating a lot of cotton candy. 
Yeah, right. You know, just, okay, yeah, this is fucking great. It's over. Really? You Why is my stomach you empty? It, you didn't dig the Thor Ragnarok kind of feelings? Yeah, it was a it was a buzz. It but was, you said it was like like candy. Yeah, it wasn't to me. There was nothing substantial to it. It was just to me that. But that's that's the whole franchise to me as a whole. It's you know, except for the first Iron Man, um, and for me the first Thor movie. Aside from that, they see. Were, I thought it did it pretty well. I thought that the the Thor Ragnarok kind of had a like it had heart to it, which I really liked. And it had heart, but to me, they all feel messy because no one ever sat down when they started the franchise, as we discussed like ages ago. Yeah, and Infinity uh, no War, one ever, which is the first podcast we did together. Yeah, no, no one ever sat down and went, "What's the tone of this franchise?" Mm. Like it went out the gate, sort of doing that quasi Batman Begins kind of set in the real world, believable thing, and then tripped on some kind of imaginary magic rod and then just like fell into oblivion yeah well i mean it felt like as soon as they realized oh shit that's right we have to have a big green guy we've got to have uh which is the film that seems to never be brought up again in this franchise the the hulk incredible hulk with um edward Edward norton Norton. Yeah, yeah yeah that's a second movie in the franchise as far as i'm aware um i will try to investigate second or third something like that. it's, it's right. early on uh and then you know then you have uh thor and captain america and all that kind of stuff and i think when they realized they had to have gods and monsters and mutants at some point and all that kind of stuff come into it it's they sort of morphed the tone and then tried to ride like six horses at once Holy so shit. no you're right by the way but i didn't see this i no. Oh shit. Chronicle chronological order. Not so it it just uh, scrapped that. I was like, oh my god, all the movies in chronological order and I was like, Captain America, the first Avenger? What? That wasn't the first movie. Maybe I'm like maybe my brain's fried. <laughs> because of Send the Forties? Yes. <laughs> so I'm like, you little shits. No, I meant actual chronological, but it does say here Incredible Hulk and Iron Man both came out in two thousand and eight. Yeah. So that's the... Though there was a the other... Technically, the other Hulk was before this Hulk. Uh, it was, Eric but as far Bauer. as I'm aware, they haven't they have ever really said... Anything about it? About it being related, as far as I'm aware. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then again, because yeah, it was obviously... Anyway, yes, yes. So, um, anyway, that's just my feeling about the films in terms of... Well, then it's nice substantial to, feeling. It's whereas, nice to chat up about this then, because you know, like it, I kind of want to do a Thor, like the first Thor movie. With Thor is really fun. It's just to me that's it. No, not the Thor Ragnarok. I'm talking about like you actually. You know, oh, Thor! The first you enjoyed Thor the Thor, movie. Thor, yeah, Thor movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I kind of like I kind of enjoy because I know you, uh, both our feelings, as you heard from that first podcast, or if you haven't heard it, listen to it. Um, that you know, we both have a similar feeling about. Marvel Universe. We just kind of, we're over it. We're enjoying the candy of it. We enjoy the kind of like, ooh, spectacle. But when it comes to substance, it's mostly gone. So it's nice to pick apart good filmmaking in amongst that rubble that is, you know, you know, you know what we're talking about, right? The rubble of superheroes. So, yeah, I'd love to dig into Thor because if you if you feel like that's the case, I'd love it's to It's not do- like it's infallible or oh, a br- of course brilliant not. film, but I, I just like a film. lot. 
but this again this this was the first movie since I liked the Avengers the first one when I saw it and then ever since every time I've seen it I've kind of gone eh yeah right. um this so but you only watched this movie once this is the second time you watched it yeah okay what are your feelings the second time watching uh just reinforced okay really. good good like I, I was really surprised by how good it was um when I saw it the first time mm. and I really liked that they looked at their timeline and went okay what can we pull that will make all of this kind of make sense uh and to take you know to have there be real impact from the first avengers film mm-hmm. uh, that sat really well for me and it just felt like the most well structured and put together Marvel film, despite it really being a Sony picture. And one thing I will touch on as well, because it's something that you really like. Uh, I know you're going to be like, yes, and try to talk about it more, because it is like a, an important point, is that this wasn't the end of a world kind of circumstance. Yeah, yeah they took down a plane and stuff like that, but really, what no, did The stakes stop? were really small. Yeah, great, right? Yeah. Even Tony Stark comes in and is like, okay, this is small fry. Like, yeah. That's why I called the FBI. That's why we had this shit sorted. Because- it's, it's what I wish Ant-Man was. It's what I wish Guardians of the Galaxy was. Yeah. It's what I wish all of those things going all the way back to the first, you know, first Iron Man movie. Um, and Thor is a small movie. You well, know. it's contained in its own universe. Yeah. So, I think I just wish that when I saw Ragnarok and when I saw this, I went, this would be really awesome if they'd been doing it the whole time. Mm. But it's almost like, particularly with this one, it just feels as though they've lessened what that what's come before. Yeah, um, right. That it's, instead of them getting better and better in a way that strengthens the franchise to me, it just sort of demonstrates that they could have done so much better from the beginning. True, but though they kind of did the, the the trick you can only do once in a film franchise, and that's to destroy the person's. Um, I'm talking about Thor Ragnarok. You know, the, they did that reset, which is we take away your hammer, which is your power, and then you 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 are now inferior, and you have to build yourself back up again. So they reset the character of Thor, which is probably why it was rewarding. I mean, spoilers for Thor Ragnarok if you haven't seen it, but it was rewarding at the end to for him to be like, I, I am the god of thunder. I have this power. Are you the god of hammers? Yeah, that's right. That's the brilliant line. That's so, it's like, oh man, I just enjoyed that film. Sorry, I, I can, you know, reel into that for later. And we'll, maybe we'll watch it. Again, overhyped for me as well. Yeah. That, that would be a major, major, major factor. I was, um, yeah. And, and I stopped watching Black Panther. I never watched got Black about Panther. an hour into it and got bored. Oh, jeez. It, it's just one, two, three, four. Like, it's by the numbers. Yeah, so anyway, that's that's how I feel about sort of... The positioning of this film in the franchise to me is... Is, uh, is done well. Yeah, it's done really well. And this is... Honestly, I would say since the first Iron Man, this is my favourite Tony Stark performance as well yeah it was um, good wasn't it like there was a lot of like there wasn't necessarily a lot of hard-hitting emotional moments but it was nice th- yeah i as i said i just wish that the tone of this film and thor ragnarok had been the tone the whole way through because mm. it just hasn't been it's been a mess of oh we're getting dark now oh it's trying to be funny oh doing this and a lot of times 
all that within one film. And so yeah. you just sort of see it and go, I'm sorry, are we supposed to be like really worried now or is it funny or what's, mm. you know, you just get thrown around the place all the time. And so that's why I feel like to me, none of these f- films have, a uh, um, when you watch a star Wars film, there's like key things that make it star Wars. Yeah. Uh, these films have never really felt like, except for the predictable flow of the films, they've never really felt of sort of a coherent franchise to me. I wonder if they did the thing where, like, like Star Wars, if they were actually to make the Avengers films first, Avengers 1, 2, and 3, and then at that point spawn off into their own little, like, this is an Iron Man movie, this maybe they would have had that structure, be like, this is Avengers and everything else is lesser scale. No, I like the idea. It's just, it's, as I've said, ad nauseum is, it's just the, um, which this film doesn't have mm. uh, the stakes aspect, you know, oh, it's just yeah. that thing of with every single film, you reach a point where you go, why aren't the Avengers showing up? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's been always the problem. Like, you can't tell me that the events of Avengers two are not as important as what happens with the films in between one and two, and yet Thor never shows up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, or between two and three, where does the Hulk go, and why? And like, it's sad that we don't see that because he's actually kind of. I like his character. He's a, he's a the great, new version of him is actually yeah, clever. He does a good job. Mm. But yeah. Anyway, Spider Man. He, uh, yeah, Tom Holland. Great role. Does an amazing, Perfect. amazing, amazing job. It's how I imagine Spider Man in yeah. so many of the comics and, oh, sorry, not that I read the comics, but so many <laughs> of the cartoon that I saw and a lot of the video games. The way he's portrayed it was very yeah. on point. My, my, because I mean, I really, really loved Ultimate Spider Man, and that had since I watched that, that had been the version that I'd always gone. That's my favorite Spider Man. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite Peter Parker. Because those sections, I think near the beginning of the game, like you don't have the suit yet and stuff like that. You're yeah, just kind yeah. of going around yeah, and as you're Peter like Parker and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and um, so this to me was the first time that on the screen the Peter Parker felt the way that. Ultimate Spider-Man, Peter Parker felt, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I really, really loved that, and it felt like a comic book movie. It didn't feel like it was trying to be super realistic and serious. It was yeah. just being a Spider-Man movie, and I think it, it's, it's, it's really tightly put together. I think. So when you take Spider-Man to his core, I mean, what, what is he? He's a teenage. He's a really young teenager, as we find out, fourteen, turning fifteen. In this film, no, uh, he's fifteen. Oh, right, because he was saying, "Yeah, are you fourteen? And he's like, "I'm 15. He says, "You're a fourteen-year-old boy, fifteen. No, you don't talk back. The adults are talking. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's the film. He has real fifteen-year-old boy problems. Uh, he he worries about school. He's a smart kid. He's distracted about this with this big responsibility in life that he has to battle between. But also, his immaturity about being Spider-Man is very prevalent. So he clearly shouldn't. He sh- clearly needs to be a more mature superhero because he's not. He just likes it because it's cool. I'm a part of Stark Industries. I want to be an uh, Avenger. It's not just that. It's also his. He genuinely does have, um, you know, in that montage, he wouldn't stop and give the old woman directions. He wouldn't. Do, he wouldn't do things like that if all he his real focus was helping people. No, he and- he has that. that. Of course, that's what makes him a good superhero because he has that. But he hasn't matured past the point where he like you know when you take up any profession 
uh, and you you go and you're enjoying it, you're loving it because you're you're doing this thing that you really enjoy doing. And at any point in in anyone's career, there's those jobs or there is that period of time where you're like, oh, fuck, I'm over this. This is hard. This is taxing. This is difficult. Whatever that job is. I mean, we're talking superhero scale, very different. But that premise. And that's kind of the evolution of like, and you see that in um, uh, Tony Stark's character. He's just like, like you don't understand that a superhero is a is a real responsibility. It isn't this. Well, invulnerability thing. becomes normality. That's right. And for him, I mean, that's this. The thing about Spider Man is he's like a he's a a suit mutant hybrid in yep. terms of abilities and what makes him what he is. Mm-hmm. Versus like Tony Stark is. He's not a he's, he's in, human. Is in a suit. Yeah. And his superpower is uh, his intelligence. Um, and Which is funny because it's like kind of Peter Parker is also super super smart. Yeah. But and but I think that's the thing. This version of Spider Man, what I really like is he. That I I I never really felt this in any of the other cinematic ones. Where aside from, and this is because we see him at such an age. Mm-hmm. So, Sam Raimi's one, it's more about um, he finishes up high school and he goes into college and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that the, uh, yeah, Amazing Ones, I'm pretty sure, is in college or at least that's when it's focused or whatever. Something, something along those lines. This is the first one where he fe- really feels like a kid. And, yeah. um, oh, the other thing I was saying as well is his, the school feels real. That's yeah. one thing that really hit me felt like a really natural realistic school as opposed to some hyper sort of realized um uh so hyper like over dramatized almost sterile kind of like not just not just sterile, but like there's the jocks and the this and then that and you see that because at american schools apparently like that's really a thing but you also see that there's a complex variety of stuff. Like mm. uh, the girl that he likes, uh, Liz, she is, um, you know, she's pretty and athletic, but she's also like uh, into sort of nerdy kind of things. Mm. And it's really sort of a more um, diverse perspective on what Being, high school is really yeah, like. Right. Because uh, unless you were a total like douchebag, you weren't one thing in high school. In, in my opinion, anyway, mm. you, you couldn't be nailed down. I mean, the entire point of it is that you're, like, finding out who you are and all that kind of shit. Well, it's also the difference between remembering high school and being in high school. Because if I remember high school, I remember the drama kids, I remember the dance kids, I remember the musicians, and I remember us geeky nerds. Of course, I remember us geeky nerds as being this weird, diverse group of people. But, of course, the drama students would be the same. Of course, the musicians would be the same. Of course, the, like... People are complex and they're developing and they're, they all have different, you know, race, ethnicity, sexuality, you know, like... And they know each other and they talk to each other. I remember right. there was some, like, absolute fuckwits I was at school at, but I, yeah. all, one thing that always stood out to me was when you ended up with them one-on-one, they'd be just utterly different people mm-hmm. because when they weren't in the pack, pack mentality... Uh, they were a different person. Yeah, yeah. something and, it takes like a decade to grow out of. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, well, I'm we'll sure s- for a lot of people. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, so. I, I that's the thing that stood out to me a lot with this film as well was that the whole dynamic of being at school felt really uh, realistic, and the apathetic teachers, and mm. you know, just sort the of the human teachers. As yeah, well. they, they were not even just apathetic, but they were like that not guy. all of them were apathetic. By the way, science teachers seem to be like. 
pretty into it and stuff. But the gym teacher and the shop teacher. Oh, wait. Am I thinking of the wrong term for apathetic? Describe apathetic for me. Uh, having no care. Oh, right. No. So, I was thinking the, the opposite. Like, they're kind of like... Not not that they had care, but they all seem kind of rounded. Like, especially the, the person taking them to... Um, Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was amazing. But that's, and that's the thing, they're diverse. I love the gym teacher, though, you know, when he leaves detention. No, come back. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah, Or the, the, man, you know, at my school, actually, yeah, the, the, like, sharp, as they say in America, but the D&T teachers were, like, always, like, these old dudes. Oh, really? Uh, like the, yeah. I, had some pretty young, well, the PE teachers is what I'm talking about. No, DT. Design and technology, the like uh, oh. woodwork and oh stuff woodwork, like. okay, yeah. yeah. That, when they're like doing the, don't stick your hands near the blades or whatever he yeah, says yeah, without looking. Look yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, I'm just while I'm talking about that aspect, I just already mentioned the school feels really, really realistic to me. But the thing that stood out most to me about this version of Peter Parker is, um, in the first hour of the film or the first like third of the film. The formula that's been used for the previous franchises has been um, Peter Parker tries to do his best, fails to show up, makes promises, fails. Um, This happens a couple of times in this film, but the interesting formula is he tends to be bailing on things before they happen, and it's a mixture of his, um, I need to be ready for this at any time. And what that, to me, builds up is, aside from him just being flaky because he's Spider-Man, he's out doing good, and there's that frustration of, guys, but if I told you what I was doing, you'd understand, and you'd Mm. be supportive, or you'd be worried, or whatever, but it's too dangerous to tell anyone you care about that you're Spider-Man, right? So... The thing that that brought to it to me was this concept that the, you know, as he calls it, the Stark internship, um, or as he and Tony Stark come up with as a cover. Mm -hmm. The Stark internship, he he sees this as a way out from his uh, lower class life. Mm -hmm. Whereas he's smart enough to get any job. Yeah. He's smart enough to do any of that stuff, and this is a realistic... Um, and also, he's a white male. <laughs> Sorry. Just that aside. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Continue. He, he can get any job on the basis of his intelligence, and yes. he can have basically any career that he'd be interested in because he's mostly interested in science and engineering and things like that, and he could do that. And it's that thing of saying to a, you know, 15-year-old who has superpowers and, like, can hang out with the most powerful people in the galaxy, uh, just be patient. Yeah. Because this will all be worthwhile once you've graduated and you're set up and all that kind of mm. stuff. And it's a situation that you don't have to deal with with any of the other Avengers, right? They're yeah. all adults. They're all... Most of them have been formed through their career, yep. formed through their education, or like Thor, for instance. That's why he's interesting, because he's immature, because he's just a man-child, uh, yes. because he's royal family. and That's right. All that kind of stuff. So, uh, And that's where Stark and Thor and stuff, you know, they all clash and all that kind of stuff. and. Uh, Stark in the like chronological order of it in this film has really just achieved that point of being more mature. Yeah. So, I think that there's... I think the thing that they approach really, really well is this idea that he can't see any other way out of his neighbourhood. 
Mm-hmm. And he's a good guy, so you sort of, if you extended it, you can imagine that that character would want to make a better life from, from Aunt, Meg, Aunt May and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I think that he really feels that that, and that's why he's so over-eager and so wants to do all this stuff when all you have to do is just just do okay for the next, like, three years mm. and then go to university and do all that stuff. The Avengers will take you in six years. But can I also say he's also a 15-year-old boy? But that's like, what I said. Like, like he's going to make those mistakes. He's going to- Of course. Yeah. But, that's- I mean, that's why it's so selfish of Tony Stark back in Captain America, uh, Civil War. That's why he shouldn't have involved him. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's utterly irresponsible. And he bet on the- As he says in this film, oh, if the captain would have wanted to lay you out, he would have. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So, you're betting on the fact that nothing's going to go wrong and that they won't want to hurt someone who is they can hear is young you're yeah gonna, you're gonna yeah. bet that uh, so i i mean it that becomes interesting right like i'm talking about it enough it's complex enough and and textured enough for there to be something to talk about uh but his the way that his character is developed to me felt fresh because that was clearly different to the previous outings. With the Sam Raimi one, it was the same formula every time. He wasn't preemptively avoiding things. He was Mm. committing to stuff and failing, committing to stuff and failing, committing to stuff and failing. Whereas this is um, more textured to me. He's avoiding doing anything and he's dropping out of things and he's leaving stuff because he sees that as a responsible pathway to avoiding failure to achieve the things that he wants or feels that he needs to achieve. Uh, and then it's not until he um, is basically shot down by Stark, uh, not at the ferry point, but after the ferry, uh, sorry, b- before that ferry point uh, in the film where he, um, after he's rescued from the water. Yeah. After, after right. he's rescued That's from the, the water. That's the first time. Yeah. And, and it's that thing of he doesn't, no one, can, no one wants to talk to him between yeah. that point and the ferry point. And, uh, which is his mistake, like, which is Tony Stark's mistake. Oh, totally. You don't ignore, you don't ignore a confused, ambitious teenager. Yeah. Uh, with With superpowers. It's, um, he's, he's going to try and do his best. Of course. And that's, that in this context is a problem. Um, and so for that act of the film, you know, between when he gets saved out of the water by Stark and when, uh, before the ferry happens, that's the point where he starts doing that uh, thing of committing and failing, committing and failing, committing and failing. Yeah. Whereas before he's avoiding commitment at all uh, to, to, to do it. And then I think that romance aspect that runs through it is also another thing that wins it as well. It's that he keeps having these small failures and then um, th- that, that hits him so hard at the end when Liz is leaving and what she says to him, you know, whatever happened... I really hope whatever you're going through, you, like, sort it out. Um, and she she means that because she's been hurt by him mm. and she doesn't think he's a bad person. No. Um, quite clearly. And then she's out of his life. Yeah. And she'll, he'll never see her again. And so that's that beautiful little sneak in. Oh, MJ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coolest MJ. Yeah. Uh, she's awesome. Um yeah, so I, that to me is why it really distinguished itself from the other Spider-Mans. It's not just his performance. It's not just um, the fact that he is such a good Peter Parker and such a good Spider-Man. Whereas, you know, I do feel that I'm sort of in that 
it's a bit of an annoying thing these days, but there's that camp about the Sam Raimi ones are going. He was a great Peter Parker and a terrible, terrible Spider-Man. Spider-Man. He never felt like a cool Spider-Man to me. He felt like a kind of a douchebag. But um, that being said, you know, Spider-Man 2 is one of Sam Raimi's. Spider-Man 2 is one of my favorite action films of all time. I really I loved Spider-Man 1 and 2. I like both. Hated of them. one, hated one and three. Couldn't stand them. I, I really, say, I, I really enjoyed one and two, one. and I still do. I, I watched them not re- super recently, but in so far recent memory. Um, but I will say that that Spider-Man there is like, how would I describe him? He is like introverted, anxious, and then this current Spider-Man, uh, obviously it's, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, is kind of. Not entirely introverted, but kind of almost a little bit extroverted, he, anxious. He can socially function. Yeah. And, and that's the thing I've always found um, made me m- more annoyed than empathetic towards Peter Parker in the Sam, right. certainly in the first one. But I will also say one of the main reasons I don't like the first one is the level of CGI that they... I know it sounds weird, but uh, whereas for the second film, they invented the Spidey cam and... That, yeah, right. that was a huge visual difference. Like that's why you see those extraordinary shots in that film because they mm. were literally swinging a camera through Manhattan. Um, I also see that as like a you know when someone has taken the bullet when it comes to experimentation. Suddenly someone is like picked oh, yeah. up the reins and be like, okay, let's try and make a Spider-Man movie. This is going to be crazy. And then they did the three, and people were like, yeah, it was pretty good. We liked it. And then suddenly these guys are like, okay off the back of that shit what do they do wrong and let's like you know yeah i mean that that's that's where they went so wrong if you watch the amazing spider-man films that's what you'll say you'll as soon as you watch the first film you just go why the hell am i seeing this origins shit again yeah why am i watching this whole thing from the start again you all know i've seen this and th- and that was a major complaint and then the second film the second film as far as i'm aware was made under a deadline to do with copyright Maybe it was the first one. Oh, I think you told but, me. Yeah, one of them was made to... It was, like, shortly before the copyright reverted back to Marvel. And so, Sony like, quick, 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 quick. Yeah. Um, but that film, the second one, is appalling, except uh, for, like, a, a couple of scenes. Um, th- there's a scene... That's depressing. There's a great scene in it um, to do with what it costs to be Spider-Man. And mm. aside from that... It's, and it's really long. It's like two and a half hours or something. Mm. Longer, maybe. That one scene. That one scene. <laughs> and uh, and it's, and that is really well done. Uh, and that's kind of the only moment that I felt something watching that film. But yeah, I think that the thing about Sam Raimi's ones are that they were, they were really going out there and trying something no one had done yet. Mm. Um, the closest thing you can really think of is... You know, it's 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 filmmakers like George Lucas, to be perfectly honest, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg that made that film possible because yeah. everyone was sort of looking back and going, well, if they've done that, um, you know, and two years, a year or two years, I think it was 2000 or 2001. I thought it was 2001. Talking about the original Spider-Man? Yeah, I thought it was let's, 2001. Let's find out. But it was, um, yeah, it was interesting to see in the wake of Star Wars Episode One how CG had been dealt with with that film uh it was so ambitious 2002 was it 2002 according to this that would be accurate i'm sure um yeah so i think that you know 
I watched on VHS, I think. Oh my DVD god, really? Or something. I can't remember. I would have seen it on DVD. Spider Man. Yeah, you know what? I can see. I I can see why you like that jump from Spider Man one to two, because I forgot that uh, what was his name Octavius was in Spider Man two. Oh, and yeah. he was a great villain. Yeah, he was cool. Yeah, and terrifying, but not with understandable motives. Yeah, and also he was a good guy taken over by an evil thing because yes. of his. Uh, I think actually we spoke briefly about this in um. The which podcast? Infinity War. Okay. Which is uh, ta- talking about how ego can undermine a character uh, and make them. So he continues his experiment in Spider Man 2 mm. uh, when he shouldn't because it's his ego. I can control it. You know, yeah, like yeah. Saying, I can control it. And, and that's what causes him to do that. And that's what causes. You know, at the end, he still takes responsibility for himself once that little chip that's controlling him is. Yeah destroyed uh i watched it only recently and i just sat there going fuck this is so good yeah it was cool and yeah so i think it's interesting because now you've got three versions of cinematic spider-man to compare against each other but this one he's my favorite spider-man um can i make it also another comparison between the first and the third type of spider-man movie which is obviously the first being sam raimi this one being homecoming um i think there's also a difference between the first set of films was like we're in the head of Spider-Man. The second, the, the like the the last most recent set of films. Well, I guess is there a second Homecoming? There is, isn't there? Is there or is it coming? Like the, the this version. Oh, of I Spider- think his next film is Avengers Four. Oh, okay, right. He has to come back to then do the next that Spider-Man movie, as far as I'm aware. So the this more recent version is like we're watching, um, we're watching a Spider-Man and we're getting to enjoy. Spider-Man himself, whilst the first series was kind of like, we we are in the head of Spider-Man, we get to feel the, oh, how cool is this? This is fun. This is exciting. Whilst in this one, we're like, oh my God, how cool is that guy? How cool is Spider-Man? Look at what he can do. So I feel like that's kind of why I enjoy the first film, because Tobey Maguire's character is a little bit more uh, passive than comparatively to this character who seems to be a lot more, like, aggressive and more, I want to get out there and I really want to push it. I think that's why, like, to me... But the thing is, that's not the way Spider-Man behaves in that in those yeah, Sam yeah. Raimi films. Mm-hmm. And that's... Why they're not... There's no, there's no overlap. I never felt that there was an overlap. You know, he puts on the suit and it could just be a different person. Yeah. Uh, that's why I never liked about the Tobey Maguire ones. Oh, I can... I think I that there was a disconnect saying. between who he was as Peter Parker and who he yeah. was as Spider-Man. Whereas in this one, it is very clear this, the connection. You yeah. know, it's Peter Parker and he puts on a thing and his it's personality... In a jacket. Yeah. Well, his cockiness is present, mm. where he's obviously quite sort of, uh, like, shy and all that type of stuff. He's not afraid to be, you know, a voice in class. He's not afraid yeah. to be number one. He's not afraid to, to succeed and do well and to be heard. Uh, but he's still a nervy, like, socially awkward person mm. who then becomes, you know, kick-ass when he gets into the... But he still stumbles Spider-Man into suit. that nerdy, awkward person when he makes mistakes as Spider-Man. Totally. And you see, you do see that more, though, in sort of like uh, in, 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 in Infinity War, for instance. You know, that that's more happening in, in play in that, I think. Mm. You know, when they get on the thing and he says, Who are you? Oh, I'm Peter Parker. I'm I mean... Do- I'm Doctor Strange. Oh, we're doing our secret names. I'm Spider-Man. Like <laughs> that that to me is that sort of 
that kind of awkwardness being a bit bigger and, and yeah. stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think I I really 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 enjoy Spider Man Homecoming. What did you think about the villain? Oh, fucking great! I mean, that was a great actor. What was his name? Uh, I can look it up. My the, the irony right. being that guy from Birdman. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's like I'm sure this has been said a billion times over, but it's it is kind of uh, it's going to be so annoying. Uh, do you want to try guess? Michael Keaton. Oh, nice! Right as I got it. Nice. Well done. <laughs> uh, he has also been Batman twice. Yeah, that's true. No, he was. I mean, I loved Birdman the film, but he was also. And then obviously, I'm not sure if this character is named Birdman. I, oh yeah, I don't know. It's a vulture or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, whatever. I, 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 well, he never, they never say it. No. I don't think. Or if they do, they might have make reference yeah. to it, but I don't remember. Sorry all those people out there that are yelling at us because we don't listen or like, we don't read comic books. Yeah, sorry. We don't care who he is. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I don't know who he the is. The vulture. It is the vulture? There Adrian Toomes slash vulture. What does he look like? Oh, the actual vulture? Let me, let me see. We might have to describe it. Because I think people were saying, you know, this is scraping the barrel or something. I mean, even if it was, it was cool. He was, he was so sweet. Like, just his entrance when he when he first reveals the vulture part of him and he's just like, chink, when the suit comes out and he's just... It's funny because he's oh. not that different from the bird guy in the Avengers team, but he's so much cooler than him. <laughs> What's that guy's name? I don't know. Like, the guy- bird guy? In the Falcon. Bird. Falcon. Which bird guy are you talking about? Fa- Falcon on, on the Avengers team. Oh yeah, no, he's heaps cooler than him. The 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 character, the the way they did the CGI, the way they did the way he moves and everything felt right. It wasn't blown out of proportion, though it was powerful. But he didn't seem like a superhuman. But more than anything else, his motivations made sense. His motivations made sense, and they weren't world domination. Thank fuck. Yeah, yeah, he's just trying to make a business and fend for his family, and it wasn't even the sappy kind of way. Like it was in that. No, he was like he, he was in the car he drove. You know, there he was actually. A- yeah, go, go. Oh, yeah, he drove like a... A fancy car, yeah. lived in a really beautiful house. He lived beyond his means, exactly. despite the... Well, he lived like, to the means that he had, you know. Rather than conserving his means yeah. to be like, okay, Which I'm was in the whole amount. point. Yeah. 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 I, it was inter- I was listening to a um, uh, talk today, this interview I shot yesterday with this guy who was in the FBI, CIA, and NSA. And one of the people that he helped take down was... Um, uh, Osama Bin Laden. <laughs> Uh, I think he had something to do with that, but I think in some way, um, I can't remember, but, uh, what I do remember is that he helped in taking down the, uh, highest ranking traitor in CIA history. And, um, one of the interesting things about it was basically, uh, so that guy was arrested and he'd been turning to the Russians um, uh-huh. And selling them stuff, and clever. He well, not really. No, I'm joking. <laughs> when you sort of see how how he gets taken down, you go, "Wow, he's what an idiot!" And he was. Yeah. He thought he said he was, you know, super smart and all this. He probably kind of was. And, oh no, he was a smart guy, yeah. but it was just the when when intelligence becomes overcome by arrogance, and then the arrogance clouds the intelligence, and and so he. Uh, when he gets sentenced, he says to the court when his children are in there, he goes into this full uh, weepy mode kind of thing oh, where he's no. saying, I did this just for my kids. Like, I did this. I did this for you. And I'm so, so. It goes on about this stuff. Horrendously embarrassing. Traitor to the country. Mm. And, 
sold out information that could have had people killed yeah, for, for his family for three hundred thousand dollars or something in total. And um, oh, really? And it was really interesting because the I'm reporter sure. who wrote the thing said, um, "I think the judge it was who was doing the sentencing. Basically, everyone was there couldn't believe the way that he just guilt tripped his children. You know that he basically said, I'm here because I was doing this for you, for mm. you.'" And uh, as the writer of the story about it, the guy who wrote the book uh, that covers it says later on, um, he ended up basically getting his son to continue the spying. Oh, really? Yeah. So, he was using his son to take things and then get money back and take a cut or something like that. His son ends up getting sentenced. And uh, it's sad because he had a really good career and stuff like that, but he was really, I need to make my father proud kind of Uh. son. Yeah. you know, in that almost obsessive kind of way. No matter yeah. what my dad does, I have to make him proud of me. Yeah. Like, my dad's shouldn't not care about. You shouldn't care about your dad's opinion anymore, is, yeah. is the point. But, you know, it's emotional. So, uh, he does all this stuff and then he gets sentenced and all that kind of stuff. And then the author says, um, Jim Nicholas, the dad, he said, the only thing I'm certain about is when he wakes in the, up in the morning, he thinks about Jim Nicholson and... Uh, when his son wakes up in the morning, I know that he thinks about others. And that's a really, really long way around of saying that that's how I feel about this guy, you know, the vulture in this film. It's He's doing these things supposedly for his family. He talks the whole time about his family, but it has that Breaking Bad thing going on where it's, yeah, but you're also emotionally getting a lot out of it. Like, you're feeling powerful. You're feeling in control. You're getting money. You You are gaining so much knowing that if anything goes wrong, at any point it will cost your family it won't cost you it'll cost you it'll cost you everything but it won't cost you anything near what it costs them yeah yeah. um it'll cost them destroying it'll destroy their lives and that's exactly what happens and so it's that it's that thing of on the surface understandable motivations that's where his motivations initially come from it comes Mm -hmm. from revenge it comes from being uh, spiteful it comes from needing to support his family but why didn't he do it? Why did Why did he do it for you know eight years instead of one? Okay. Speaking about Mike and Michael Keaton's character, one of the things I really wanted to talk about as well is one of my favourite scenes of of his character in particular, and that was the car because mm. he get he so they get into the house and there's that awkward moment where he's like obviously it's a brilliant performance it's a great reveal it surprised me and it wasn't over. Played, no, Tom really Holland liked. is amazing there. Yeah, like he's having he's it it's that that performance feels like an anxiety attack. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it just goes quiet. Everything he can't hear anything. He can't understand anything. Yeah. He, oh my yeah. god, look how funny this is! Oh yeah, that's really funny. Like yeah, it's exactly yeah. what having an anxiety or a panic attack is like, where you're trying to continue functioning mm. and yet uh, you can't appear to be normal. But you're yeah. doing your absolute best. Well, I guess it's really pre-panic well attack. Like, that's trying to not have a panic attack in its own self. Sorry, no, not that I know. I, I mean, not, not that I'm very experienced in that. But then there's that moment in the car, and Michael Keaton's character, so the vulture, hasn't realised that it's uh, Spider-Man yet, but he slowly starts to realise. Yeah. And you see him get more and more, like, like he goes from the lovable dad to the... The kind of the man who's actually like the egotistical, want to control kind of dude until she leaves the car, and we already know that he knows. And then he turns, and the stuff he says in that moment is so good. It's such a, 
it's such a good threat mm. because it's also it it's giving him an out. The, I did. It's, I have to. The only thing I'll say is I don't like the shots that they choose for the back end of that scene. Do you mean when it's like super close to his face? No, that's the great stuff. Yeah, right. And then they do that like outside the windshield shot and a couple of other things. But the other thing is they chose to stay on Mike. They didn't give us enough Peter Parker, in my opinion. In that okay, that there wasn't quite enough reaction happening it was all michael keaton talking when once we know what he's getting at was I, I, I wanted to see how peter parker was being affected a bit more okay i liked it i liked where it was going because i was like when is he gonna get it or does he get it like he's so close and i also because i we i feel like we had the peter parker moment in the house and then it was the michael keaton moment in the car and then i love love hate there's um uh, the moment with Peter Parker and he's like, obviously he's now escaped the school and he's escaped. They've done that fine. He meets up with Michael Keaton's character in that warehouse and they have this like standoff. I love the really wide shot. I love how it looks. I love that they were, but then they broke it for me by cutting and I'm, I'm this must be performance or something, but they cut, kept cutting from Michael Keaton's like two angles of Michael Keaton that was profile as face on as profile as face on as profile. And I was like, there's nothing more menacing than keep stay on one shot, slow track. And then like, that's uh, uh, look, you don't know as in, no, no, of course you as in we, but like, we don't know. But to me, that smells of, uh, uh, um, directors and performance. That's what it smells like to me. To me, it smells like, a director that has been asked to use multicam by producers so that they have more options in post rather than him being able to pick his shot and stick with it. Yeah. No, um, I get Which that happens point. a lot in these big movies these days. You you see, you sort of go, what was that unmotivated cut? What's this? What's happening mm. here? What's what's going on? And it's that thing of, if that was a David Fincher film, that would have been one shot probably. Yeah, yeah. And it would have like slowly moved in. If it was a Spielberg film, it definitely, almost certainly would have been a single shot yeah. um, with cutaways to Parker. And, and that that's, yeah, that's what that smells of. It was Nolan as well who did a superhero yeah. film. Yeah, well, exactly. And and all of these directors' names that we're saying are incredibly decisive. And they don't directors. choose to do these kind of films. They wouldn't. They wouldn't do Marvel. But everyone would love to see something. Oh, yeah. You'd love to see their version of it that would make no money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. I, yeah, but, but that's the thing. It's like those are all directors who have incredibly decisive styles who uh, can't be uh, can't be boxed in by... Yeah. And strong reputations. Yeah, absolutely. That they want to Which keep is why they as, can't be yeah, that's right. boxed yeah. in by studios into, to the point of being like, you haven't got enough cameras on this scene. Um, I think, I, as far as I'm aware, they're doing the same sort of thing with Star Wars at the yeah, moment. Right. But Star Wars has never... Star Wars, with exception, like, throughout, has never been a really, like... Um, it's had that the whole way, you know? Do you mean multicam? Uh, do you mean single cam kind of stuff? It's had, like, multicam or over coverage or yeah, um, yeah. trying to do things, except, like, the first film had, like, nowhere near enough coverage. But that that's a George Lucas, uh, you know, that's, like a, that's a, a Lucas-style thing. Mm-hmm. And they've just sort of expanded on that with Star Wars. But that, to me, is a tiny sort of signature. Why did they change that shot? Um probably yeah. some t- you know again projecting but 
probably some marketing person saying you need to change a shot every 12 seconds, otherwise people stop paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Some bullshit, like... Because, you know, that that reminds me of the amazing... One of my favourite shots in most films was uh, James Bond Skyfall. And we had... What was that guy's character? Javier, uh, Javier Badem's character when he comes down the elevator and yes. walks towards James Bond. One shot, talking, yeah. slow. It sounded great, despite, Jaws. obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was Jaws. But it was intelligent and it was menacing and it was fascinating. It was so good. And it was because... Not just because it was performance. It was everything. But it was... That's what made it. That, yeah, it's, he's... A, he, I mean, yeah. That's... Sam um, Mendes is a highly decisive director that's correct um you know jarhead is one of my favorite films of all time which i have just realized i don't, don't have on blu-ray you um, scumbag if anything if oh my god if they rescan a film as 4k like that film is um fucking gorgeous it mm. is stunning um we should we'll do it we'll watch it and when you when you uh, get the 4k you will watch it again Oh, yeah, but they might not scan it. But uh, anyway, that 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 he's a highly decisive director, and uh, in my so opinion, so, like Sam, so Sam Raimi, so Sam Raimi. It's like you don't see any of those things in the uh, except for the third one. The third one's a write off because like the studio very clearly got heavily involved in that. Yeah, yeah. But the first two, particularly the second one, the second one is Sam Raimi's Spider Man movie to me. The first one feels like the studio's kind of all over it because they're worried and, and budget. Yeah, oh, totally. But but I mean, we had a gigantic budget. No, like I think three still holds the record for the most expensive US film ever made. Looking but, this um, shit up. Go go go. It was over three hundred million. Um, wow. If you're right, I'm going. And the comparison something. I always draw is they made the Lord of the Rings trilogy for two hundred ninety-seven million. So money doesn't mean that it's a fucking good thing. No. Um, and <laughs> you look at that second Sam Raimi movie and that to me has been the Sam Raimi movie where that is what Sam Raimi set out to make and successfully created. Um, and I think that whether or not his mistakes he makes in the third one, which he's talked about more recently, but mm. um, the the second film to me is exactly what he set out to make and it doesn't have in my mind anyway, those things like that weird sort of cutaway shot. And anyone that's listening, this might sound like semantic or um, looking into things too much, but it's cutting unnecessarily, which is something I've done 101 times over in my own projects. Yeah. When, when you see how much it undermines things. And as a director, it's really hard to commit to a shot of something, um, you know, this short film that we did last year, Staying the Night, mm-hmm. uh, that was, I felt that overall we were pretty decisive about our setups. Um, and the only setup that took a long time was a really specific camera move that I wanted. And um, that's why it took, for a- it took ages, right? Because it was a difficult manual move on a jib. Um, there was no... Mach- there was no electronics or machinery to it. And so it's it's that thing of when you go through and you pick your shots, when you don't have someone else there saying, no, I don't trust you, get more, um, you you have that, that luxury. Um, mm-hmm. And you either have to fight for it or in the case of like my work, your budget is not important to anyone. So no one's fighting you. Um, so I think, I think that, that's that important distinction of the artistry of it uh, can be undermined 
you know, this is a hypothesis that we've created. It's not what happened. Yeah, of course. We we but, don't know. We weren't there. But it smells like that. It's mm. it does smell of that uh, that sort of studio interference kind of thing. There's but, no reason for the change in shot. And he's menacing. Yeah, well, he is menacing. Right. Michael, Michael Keaton is very good at doing menacing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that it, was a great like if you kept it in that wide and you didn't even see their faces, it was still really good. Yeah, like it was it was already a really good sequence without those additions. So I don't know. I always think to myself that it's got something to do with performance, but you got a, a really good point about you know <sighs> coverage, the way that you know. I f- I'd find it really hard to believe, considering how seasoned an actor Michael Keaton. Oh yeah, that there would be anything, particularly that sort of, you know. I don't know. Maybe they shot that first. I strongly doubt it. But, no, no. But it's one or of those maybe. things where you just go, he he would have such a grasp of the character and there's at no point does he seem out of character in the film. So, I don't yeah. know. Uh, and again, not the type of budget where you're talking that, oh, no, we couldn't get uh, that line from Michael King. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a problem they're going to have. Uh, yeah, I, it, that's what it smells of. It smells of multicam to me. Okay. No, that's completely fair. But I still really enjoyed that scene. I just thought that it it, it lacked the balls that I mean that's one of the things for me I mean like I don't know I keep balls. saying this balls but you know like it lacked the kind of courage that some films had, and it had an opportunity to be courageous because I don't think that a film has to be like I think a bo- it, it, in the same way that an action movie that's all about your pizzazz and has like shots everywhere and it's all like gla- like like explosions and amazing spectacle it also gets boring i also think a film that's all about like that's really like striving to be you know like to challenge cinema and to be really like ballsy in the way that they shoot i think in that same respect it's also kind of boring i think that a good movie and a good director and a good cinematographer and a good editor get a moment in a film and they just slow, like they, they choose moments and then they really work it and then they leave it. And that's, you know, that that's the example of um, Skyfall that I'm talking about. That's the example in many films of with directors that we really love. Um, also, and it again, it's about being decisive. It's yeah. about being, it's about communicating through the visual element and how do you want people to feel? And it's that thing of, you know, not cutting a shot is as important as cutting a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, Any time that you make a cut, it makes people feel a way. Yes. It doesn't matter if it's an interview. It doesn't matter if it's a corporate video. It doesn't matter yeah. what it is, but cuts make people feel. Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a massive difference between telling a story and feeling a story. Totally. And, and the editing process is quite, quite a lot to do with feeling a story. Because the information's there. They could have cut 30 or 40 times or not made a single cut. The well, it's like, there. yeah. I, I mean, it's that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think it's a really good film. It's. Fr- I have to be honest. I, uh, I'm really frustrated that I have to wait until after the next Avengers to see Tom Holland have a Manhattan Spider-Man movie. You know, it's uh, we haven't had that yet. Yeah. Is there anything that, that disappointed you about the film? Not disappointed me, but it's more about um, like obviously any major thing. Excitement about wanting to see things and they didn't happen. You know, this film is not. This is the interesting thing about this film, particularly visually. This is not a Spider-Man swinging through skyscrapers thing. This is Spider-Man running through a field. This is Spider-Man hopping from truck to car so that he can get somewhere quicker. This is not Spider-Man going at two hundred and fifty kilometers an hour between buildings. Mm. Um, 
this is not a Spider-Man that we're visually familiar with. And and I think that that is the aspect to me that that's that frustration of I really want a sequel because I want to see I want to see Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Well, you know, they, they clearly made this so that it would be a sequel. Like the way, like they, they purposely oh, it's said like, it in a way. Yeah, I mean, what's his name? Uh, the f- uh, Fag, whatever his name is, um, Paul, or oh, can't remember. Anyway, the guy that produces like all of the Marvel cinematic universe. Oh, I didn't know. He, he was the producer of this. Yeah, there you go. It, it slots right in. It really is. You know, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It stems from that. Uh, you know, the crossover of agreements of what they had. Uh, this was the fulfillment of the agreement between them taking Spider-Man for Civil War and then Sony getting to access. Um, Do you know what's going to be sad? See you for their film. I think what's going to be sad is, as of Infinity War, there's a there's a maturity that Spider-Man would inherently have, you know, gotten from being you know killed and reborn and the, the stakes that were in that and i really it's it'll they have to bring that in unless they just wipe his memory they'll have to bring that maturity along with that the, the next film and if they do it's kind of like you're missing like that's a whole movie in itself just him with that you know you know uh, i doubt they'll have time to explore that i, I yeah but this is the thing i i yes that would be interesting no i don't think i want to see that film and the reason is i want to see I want to see the sequel to Homecoming. I don't want to see the sequel to Yeah, that's what that's my exact point. Is I don't want to I don't want that to be involved in it, but now that I think about it, it's going to have to be, right? They're going to have to do Yeah, but they, they might did. do that in Infinity War 2 or whatever it's called. But I look, we we're we're speculating and I I think that Yes. what all I know is what I want to see is is that Peter Parker in Manhattan. That's what I really want to see. Um, I really want to see how they deal with uh, moving through the buildings and doing all that stuff. And I know they're going to do it CG uh, almost certainly because yeah. of how they made the Avengers films. Mm. Um, but it would you know, be nice if maybe they did some kind of spider cam or something, the modern version of it would be so sweet. Um, you know, re- like actual film, like, you know, yeah. of, you know digital or whatever but like actual cameras sweeping down through the streets and then cg cars in and spider-man and stuff so it looks like the timing is perfect and all yeah that. yeah like, I, that that just that blew me away with spider-man 2 that's always been imagery that's never gotten out of my head and that's been the appeal of the character in the 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 video games for me it's been that yeah it's just it's fun to be spider-man holy shit i want um, to play that spider-man game uh, I'm not going to buy it because I have a, I mean, we both have a rule that we generally don't buy a video game that's just been released because there's no point paying $100 for a game when it, well, you know it's, it's going to yeah. be $40 in like six months. Yeah. It would just lose its hype and no matter how good it is. I mean, look, we just saw, I mean, that's a few years ago now, but Uncharted 4 sitting for two for $20. A two for forty dollars inside of a bin. I mean, it's it's less that more than like, of course, there's the money factor, but Mm. it's it's that thing of uh, with a back end to the year that is so insanely packed with games, I can't justify it. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's just too much, too much coming out. It'll be Smash Brothers, Pokemon, Smash Brothers, maybe Red Dead if you can convince me well enough. (laughs) Yeah. Look, if you don't play it, we just won't talk for a month. That's your choice. <laughs> but then I won't have a podcast for a month. <laughs> Damn it. You can. So about Red wait, Dead. No, this is how I sell it. This is how I sell it to myself. I say, I will spend that money 
because that means I get to hang out with Josh. I just, honestly, there is no point in waiting for that game to come. I just can't see a reason why waiting that for that to come down in price would be. All right. Well, we kind of... It's going, evidence? it's going to be like GTA 3. It's going to be that game that everyone who plays games on console is going to have played. It's yeah. going to be massive. Just everyone's going to play this thing. You're not going to hear from people. They're, just, they're not even going to have lives anymore. They're going to be playing Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption all day. So everyone's going to quit work. You That's going to be funny. And Laura will start playing video games and that kind of... Like, I'll come home and she'll be like... Oh, she'll start you- having to dress like a like a cowboy for you even to pay attention. <laughs> oh, my God, a cow... Oh, Laura, come on! You tricked me, again. <laughs> it's the fifth time this week. <laughs> anyway, do you want, but I think it's going to be fucking sick. Yeah, okay. totally related to Spider-Man. It does. Uh, well, it relates to the time that we're talking about this. But, you know, there's not much more to say. Like, I mean, what else right. is there to say about Spider-Man? Watch the movie. It's really good. Uh, I still... Oh, his friend is funny. I'd say that. His friend... Oh, I mean, his friend's funny. I, all these kind of... All the characters in the it's film... It's very textured. I, there's just stuff yeah. happening all the time that's enjoyable and quirky and fun. And not trying to make a big deal of itself. Yeah. Like, I was going to say that when we were talking about the school and we are talking about the the diversity in the school... Mm. Uh, yes. Like, cultural diversity that existed, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like, I didn't I didn't think of it because they didn't focus on it. They weren't like, oh, look, check out all this cultural diversity. I was like, Oh, totally, yeah. I was like, whoa, oh, actually, this is really cool that you're introducing this kind of character, this kind of... of this, this, but there was no... This, yeah, this as you said, there this. was no deal made of it. Like, the, mm. the black guy that was on the debate... No, the whatever it's called, the team, the oh uh, yeah, um, but it's debate, Athlon or whatever. That's right, yeah. Uh, the trivia the, night, yeah, yeah. Like, but he's not just an an African American kid; he's an African kid. I yeah, think that, yeah. that things like really interesting des- decisions about that, and also the allowance now of um, there's this great like one of my favorite things as just a politically incorrect phrase that I've heard as a joke. Yeah. You know, someone, maybe it was Family Guy or something, but they were talking about Dwayne Johnson and they go, oh, yes, he's racially ambiguous. It's that thing of the girl that plays MJ. It's sort of you, it doesn't matter who is what. Yeah. It's like, uh, and and the guy who's, you know, kind of a dick, he seems sort of Indian or Pakistani or something. And and it's just irrelevant. These characters just... Are people from That's places, right. they- and it was—it's a genuinely, to me, a genuine like non-tryhard uh, diversity film. I didn't actually think of it the first time. Well, I'll that, be honest. I didn't that's think how it. good it was. Yeah. I didn't have that realization until like halfway through It just felt like good film. casting. Yeah, yeah. And that's and, and it just gives you that great idea of, you know... And what I meant, by the way, about sort of that racially ambiguous thing, it's it's surpassed that thing of we need a black kid and a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Which could have been the conversation. An Indian kid or this and that. And whereas... Oh, totally, I'm sure. Like, yeah, yeah. You can't in these big money organizations. But instead of doing that, it feels like they just cast the right people for the roles. Yeah. Who, uh, with obviously an intention for them not all to be white. Yeah, right. Um, I know but I, without filing them either. You know, they didn't go, that, the Asian kid is this, the black kid is this. The And then for me, in the moment when I realized that was... We were, there was a shot of around the school area and it was just kids like he's just walking through like and then everyone's going to class or whatever it is. And I know this sounds really odd 
but but I guess it sounds odd because it is odd in this style of film. There was um, oh, I'm, I'm going to be really culturally insensitive and say like you know the like headscarf. I don't know what it's called that you know Muslim people yep. often wear. Um, On the other side of the hall, there were two Hasidic Jewish boys. There you go. Like it wasn't. Once again, not paid attention to, not focused on. It wasn't a big no, it was deal. Just texture. It was just texture. It was just a thing. real school in fucking Queens. And I was like, which Great. is a mixing pot, and and that's the thing. But that's that's what you want to see on screen. Yeah, yeah. Because you want to see in my daily life, I don't walk outside and see white people everywhere. No, no. It's just in our culture, that's abnormal. Yeah. You know, unless yeah. you know you live in Queensland, but the um, <laughs> you 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 just dis in Queensland. That's right. Yeah. Um. Because it's fun. Uh, well, but you know what I mean? Like, in Australia, that's just not normal. No, it and isn't. In, and in most westernized, or Western, or westernized, as we are, because we don't mm. live in the West, but um, the countries, that isn't the norm. And so, you know, it... it yeah. It's just it's good really to... really well yeah. done. It's really well done because, as you said, it's just not... You, it, it feels like no one thought about it. Yeah, that's right. They obviously did very, very hard think about it. And, I, and this is what I want it to be like in like 50 years or whatever it is when it, when we, we can finally do this and not make it a big deal, which is an important milestone. And it takes a long time. It's a really difficult stepping stone for like us as a culture. But I'd love to get to a point in my life before I leave this damn world uh, and and be like, yeah, you know what? I remember back in the day where people like it had to be a thing. It had to be really pushed at it. And I think I, I think it'd be beautiful to see a time where the world is like, no, they're just human beings. They're not, you know, like everyone. Oh, totally. Everyone's got a story to tell, and we're just going to put them in front of the screen if they're good at for what they need to do. That's that's why we, you know, didn't in the first episode of season one of a shared house we didn't like flag that Michael was gay. Mm. Um, and a, quite a few people gave us feedback on that. Being oh, really? like, I thought that he was going to hook up with Charlotte and stuff, and I just went, why? Yeah. What what at any point did that indicate to you? that they had a chemistry that would make them hook up. And why did you assume he was straight? Yeah, that's right. And it's the thing. It's just people are people and people can be think be whatever. Mm. And that was sort of that that was that was a primary discussion between myself uh, uh Georgia and David. And uh, you know, Georgia being the producer. I know that you know this. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Georgia no, no, Georgia being the it. producer and acting in it um and co-creator and David being uh the actor that portrayed Michael and mm. and it, and it's it's that it's that thing of uh it was a lengthy discussion because the first thing as we were talking about who we wanted to sort of mix um uh you know, Georgia being LGBT and, you know, she said, oh, I want to get like a gay character in there. That'd be cool. And that kind of stuff. And the first discussion that we had was cool, but not like a gay character. Right. And, and it's <laughs> that thing of, we just wanted a character to be gay because we wanted there to be representation. Uh, and we wanted there to be, div- you know, diversity representation, I guess. But, um, but we just didn't want it to be, uh, certainly not in the first episode, a thing. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's that awkward conversation in the second episode where it's... Jimmy like, on the couch. Yeah, where mm. it's made a thing about him being gay. But that's the whole point of that conversation. Yeah. Is that it's like, why are you even talking about this? This is a... The fact that you're having the conversation about it being okay to be gay is offensive. Yeah, yeah. You, you should just... Why are you even thinking about it for more than... A, you know, why are you thinking about it at all? So, uh, yeah, I... That that's it's hard. It's it's really really hard, and they totally pulled it off. Mm. Um, 
I'm not saying that we did it successfully, by the way. I'm just saying- No, I think you guys it did. It was something that we were going out to do. But it's a really strange thing to go, okay, so we need to be diverse. We, we want to be diverse, but we are going to not try to be. Yeah, yeah. You And you end up in this mess. It's hard to write. I mean, they did it really well. Yeah, and I think- But the, whoever did the casting for that film- fucking smashed it deserves an award yeah yeah it's not only was it like though donald glover as spider-man would have been interesting (laughs) i don't know if he could have pulled too old too old to begin the training oh yeah that's i don't even he is like 34 or something yeah and he looks it like i don't i mean he might have been able to play a younger age but he looks it yeah he's too old yeah that's a totally good point anyway but yeah black spider-man that'd be cool I think that would be cool. I mean, I don't... I don't. Really this is a great thing about comic books, though. It's like, you know when people go, ah, you've taken... You know, fucking racist people and sexist people. Ah, you've taken Star Wars away from me. Ah, you've... It's, it's like, yeah, they're not, they're not going to stop making them, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, it's okay if they make three movies where girls are the heroes yeah, uh, in yeah. Star Wars. You know that there will be more. That's right. <laughs> it's like, stop fucking... Uh, and it's the same with this. Like, you could you could just go, all right, let's make the Black Spider-Man movie. Let's make the Asian Spider-Man movie. Uh, but you can't get away from the issue, certainly not in the current climate, that that's going to be, you're just trying to be diverse. Um, yeah. That's, you know, it's why I want Idris Elba to be... I, I look at Idris Elba and I go, wow, you'd be, you'd be such a sick James Bond. And people yeah. talk about it. And it's just people will lose their fucking minds if he gets cast of that because they'll go, you just made him James Bond because he's black. It's like, no, it's because he's like fit, good looking, the right age and a fucking good actor. Yeah, yeah. And those are the reasons to put him in. What? But on top of that, yeah, fuck you, a black guy can be Bond. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that's the. That's and also, what I say. mean, you saw what happened with Daniel Craig. There was a, the, not an uproar, but there was like a really split divide of people. And they're like, oh, but James Bond is like this. And it's like, I, I didn't want it to James Bond. Oh, that was I was totally immature at the time. I didn't want it. I was like, I. I, I, I was more so like, ah, oh, fuck off guy who directed Goldeneye. Uh, but <laughs> I was more like, what a dumb decision having a blonde fucking James Bond. That's stupid. Oh, his eyes, though. Um, but fuck. like, that was just. Just as immature stupidity is. Yeah, like, yeah, It doesn't yeah. matter. No, it doesn't. Like, I mean, there are some films and he where- kicks ass and I love it. Well, I was going <laughs> to say, there are some films that, like, you could have just made a different franchise. You didn't have to put the James Bond oh, table. But right. that wasn't, in my opinion, Daniel Craig's performance in those wasn't a version that you need. I feel like James Bond had needed a refresher. I feel like I was kind of sick of just laughing at James Bond being stupid and racist and sexist. I had needed one that was sexist in his own right, I guess, but also like a fucking like machine and intimidating and threatening, not just someone that it's like, I look good and I sound fantastic. Oh, totally. I mean, now, particularly on the sexism front, like the misogyny of that's inherent to James Bond. The thing that's interesting, the thing I find frustrating is people talk about, get rid of it, don't do that. I'm like, no, explore it. Yeah, yeah. Look at it. Look right. at the way that he treats women. And if you, for me, um, uh, Skyfall is probably the best one in that, particularly because oh, yeah. of the M arc that happens in the mm. film. It's It's that she's an incredibly strong woman and her arc is um, very much tied to James Bond. Yeah. And it demonstrates to me that he isn't fundamentally a misogynist. He relates to her on a completely human level. And yet at the same time, he has that awkward mum replacement because he's an orphan kind of fucked up stuff happening in his head, but he just has a shit. He, he, Treats women like shit, and that's one of my that's one of my favorite parts of um of Money Penny in that 
in that film. Yeah. Um, how she uh, has slept with him in the past and then they sort of have another rendezvous later in the film. And, mm. uh, you know, I, th- I think that it's, it's very, it's not very, it's fairly subtle how they explore the, his behavior affecting others. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, that's my opinion on the James Bond. We should like, do one. Women thing. I really would love to yeah. do one. Because, because I think that's, that's an area to dive into. Yeah. Not to pull back. And certainly like, to me, it's that, it's that providing context of how we can change over time and look at the texture. You should be able to, to, to look at the history of James Bond and then find a turning point somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, someone said, someone once said, uh, this is a thing about context and, and change is some, you know, uh, people had an outcry because early Looney Tunes stuff from the forties, uh, fifties uh, is, features disgusting depictions of particularly African-Americans, really foul. Mm. And um, there were calls for them to stop distributing it. And Warner Brothers turned around and went, no, but we're going to put basically disclaimers on them that explain the context in which these were made. Because to destroy them or to stop them from being available is to deny that we that we distributed this yeah yeah so instead of that we are going to continue distributing it and you can show it to schools it's the equivalent of taking uh hitler's autobiography and uh rather than just burning it and letting no one read it but what happened in germany where they they added context to the the book and then released it in germany it's a it's a it's an incredibly important document Mm. of a like utter drivel from a fucking like literary idiot but mm. like that's the truth yeah, yeah it's like he's just an incoherent fuckhead but but the you know that's the thing about with james bond for me i'd really love to see them explore that let's um anyway I, I, yeah and that has to do with spider-man no it does because we're talking about character <laughs> we're talking about taking uh, a main role and flipping it culturally flipping it no uh, i wouldn't uh, say flipping it just you know the potential to taking it elsewhere or casting it blindly yeah is is how i would say it is just go into a room shut your eyes and and see if you if you find a spider-man you know turn out the lights and cast a spider-man and turn on the lights and that's right find out that it was some south american kid yeah like who knows yeah uh you just because there's always another opportunity i just don't see why they can't do this stuff Hmm. doesn't have to be a six film franchise it can be oh we're going to go make this film and then we're going to reset it and do a different story in a different timeline um and that's you know that's the opportunity they have in the standalone star wars films it was very frustrating they immediately went to han solo um despite (laughs) the fact i love i love that film i'm so yeah yeah to come out on blu-ray i'm so excited wait you're talking about Um, the first no solo Oh, Solo. Sorry, I was talking about the first film. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't like Rogue that much. But but Han Solo was surprisingly really entertaining. And that's that thing of like, stop going to the Skywalker fucking legacy. Go, you can go anywhere and look at anything. It doesn't yeah, need to yeah. be like just another It also white makes it dude. cooler. It makes the Skywalker legacy even better if you don't it's have exclusive. to follow it. Yeah, yeah. yeah the galaxy got- is so massive you can look anywhere. And that's the thing. That's what they need to be doing. You know, we still haven't had a, a, a non-white lead in a, in a Star Wars film, in terms of like singular main character, of course, yeah. of course we have uh, characters in the in the 
the sequel trilogy. But yeah, anyway. Anyway, so that's yeah, that's it really. Um, thanks for freaking podcasting and talking about homecoming. No, that's alright. Thanks I love for that shoving we- this like piece of shit mic in my face. Hey, you got your microphone's three times more expensive than mine, so yeah, and still like you know, I give you the better microphone. Forty times less expensive than the last one. That's true, actually, not so, forty, but you, you know, know, whatever. Yeah, and I won't lie. I put the better microphone in front of me <laughs> before, and I I actually remember when I, we did that podcast, and I listened to um. And I actually made a comment later on being like, damn it, your microphone is better. <laughs> so now we're on more even playing terms. Um, but yeah, thanks for, you know, for potting. But bye. Bye. So that's the podcast for today. Stay tuned as there will be a new podcast released every single Thursday. To keep up to date, don't forget to subscribe using Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode, I want to give a special shout out to Josh for coming back yet again. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Piotr Wasilewski, and the music was sourced from the Filmstro website. Till next week. Thanks for listening.